You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts, except it's just me today. I am your host, Jen Romolini. Hi. And um, today... Kim was having some massive technical difficulties in her in her house, apartment, place of residence, and we had a guest booked. So we decided to just go ahead with the interview and make sure that it happened because our guest was so lovely and we didn't want to postpone the interview. So it's just me today. I miss Kim a lot. It was wild to do it. It's always wild to do one of these interviews on my own, but here it is. And I hope you enjoy it. And Kim and I will be back next week. Happy Monday after Thanksgiving, everyone. Our guest today is Karen Walrand. Karen is the author of The Lightmaker's Manifesto and a lawyer, leadership coach, and activist. In her work, she has helped thousands of people around the world find purpose and meaning in their lives. Karen and her work have been featured in PBS, The Huffington Post, CNN.com, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Her latest book, which we're going to talk about a lot today, is called Radiant Rebellion, Reclaim Aging, Practice Joy, and Raise a Little Hell. And it was recently released. Welcome, Karen. Hi. Oh my gosh, what an honor to be here. I'm so excited. So I should just say at the beginning of this interview, Kim was, we had some technical difficulties with Kim's technology was, was, there was a struggle. And so we decided just because of time and everything else to go with the interview together, but we will miss Kim and she will be here in spirit. So just to say that up front. Okay. First question, your book posits, what if aging were something to aspire to not dread? Mm. So tell me, please, what was the urgency behind this feeling and behind wanting to create this work? Yeah. So I wrote this book um, in 2022 and 2022 was a big year for me. I was turning 55. My marriage was turning 20 
And my daughter, our only child, was turning 18, graduating high school, going off to college. So a lot of big milestones were happening. And as I told people about all these things that were happening, and first of all, let me just be very clear. I've never been somebody who had a problem with aging. I've always loved my birthday. I've always loved everything about it. But I would tell people about all these things um, that were happening in 2022. And it felt like the only thing people were happy about was the 20-year marriage. Like everybody's yeah. like 55, ooh, double nickels. How are you doing? You feel okay about that? Or um, your daughter's leaving, mm, 18, are you okay, mama? Right. And I yeah. remember thinking, well, I mean, first of all, the kid going to college, that was always the goal, right? Like, yeah, like right. the whole point was to get her out and into the world and studying what yeah. she wanted to study at a school that she wanted to study. And I mean, I every single thing, I was like, why is everybody saying this is bad. And so I decided to write the book, honestly, in my arrogance, to just tell everybody, oh, aging is easy. What's the problem? It's no big deal. Just it's fine. Um, It turned into something a little bit different, right? Because I found out, oh, there's a reason like why this is a problem. This is a there's a reason why people hate this. And it's basically capitalist patriarchy and ageism, right? That's what it is. And we hate aging generally because the world is designed for us to hate aging. Yeah. And I wanted to unpack that. Yeah. So what surprised you most as you started researching aging or was there something that surprised you? Well, yeah. So I remember as I was telling, you know, I was telling friends that this was what I was going to do. And I asked a, a very good, very dear friend of mine um, who also seems to approach aging the same way I did, right? Never seemed to have a problem with getting older or her birthday. And I said, you know, I'm going to write this book on joyful aging. What's something that you wish I tackled? And she said, you know, I'd be really interested to find out whether or not we always hated aging. And so I thought, oh, that's that's really interesting. So I I started researching and I stumbled across the work of a Dr. Laura Hirschbein, who is a medical historian and a psychiatrist. And she wanted to know the same thing. And so she decided the best way to find out was to look at popular magazines, um, from the past. So she looked at popular magazines from like the 1900s, figuring mm-hmm. that any articles that talked about aging would sort of capture the zeitgeist of what people felt about aging. And yeah. what she found was most of those articles were written by people who were um, in later years. They were like in their 80s and 90s, and they generally loved it. They were like, oh, aging is awesome. And I'm the keeper of tradition. And I'm the, you know, I feel so much wiser. And I feel like I know myself more. And yeah, okay, I have a backache or, you know, my bum knee or cataracts. and But overall, those are minor compared to all of the benefits that getting older has given me. Yeah. So fast forward, two world wars and a Great Depression. And of course, these 80 and 90-year-olds are working, right? They're, they're, they're writers and authors and doing all kinds of work. But now, because of the economy, all of these 30-year-old, primarily men, were not be- able to find jobs, right? It's the depression, it's the, it's the war. And so the United States decided, okay, we need to have a mandatory retirement age and we're going to make it 65. So everybody over 65 has now got to get out of the workforce so that these 30 year olds can support their, their partners and their kids. Oh, wow. Right. So of course, now all of these older people are, you know, not contributing to the economy. Right. And so they've become a problem. And this was the part that really blew my mind was, of course, at that time, geriatrics really wasn't a thing. So a lot of child psychiatrists and pediatricians decided to expand their research into what happens to the aging body. And they used as their standard of normal five-year-olds. 
So if you didn't have the quickness of mind of a five-year-old whose like mind is designed to like learn and grow, then you are impaired. If you're not as physically like active or spry as a five-year-old, you're impaired, right? No. So, <laughs> so now, right, like aging has become a problem to fix because you're impaired. And then enter Clairol, right? Well, you don't want people to know you're aging. So you better dye your hair. And that began a trillion dollar anti-aging industry, uh, largely unregulated that we have today. So, and that's all by the way, within the first 50 years of the 20th century. So we went from loving aging to aging is a problem that has to be fixed in 50 years. Um, And that was a shock to me. I, I, I sort of knew that media had something to do with it, but I did not realize like it was sort of a wholesale um, switch that happened really because of governmental policy as well. Wow. Wow. No. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because today I see us have a lot of reverence for older people, you know, people in their 70s, 80s. There's like some nostalgia and cuteness about like an old person, right? Like we accept them. I feel like it's like the middle zone, the aging, like when you go basically from being a person who, a woman in particular, who Mm -hmm. can bear children to not, (laughs) is when there's like this steep cliff of value, right? Yeah. And this is where I'm seeing, because you also see in the middle age, you know, I'm sure you came across this, the like sort of U curve where we're the least happy in this period and then it happiness goes up again and I guess in your 60s. And I wonder what you think about that, because it really does feel like this is the real panic age. It's midlife. It's like, this is where we're just, where we really seem to lose our worth and value. I mean, there's an argument to be made about, you know, there's the wisdom of the older people, you know what I mean? So how did, how did you, how did you come, how did you, how did you feel about that? Or how did you approach midlife in particular when writing a book about aging? Well, I mean, I honestly, I, I mean, I'm in midlife, so it was, yeah. you know, and, and, but the book generally, by the way, is, is not just my research. It's also, yeah. well, I mean, it's mostly that, but it's also me interviewing people and taking their advice. Right. So there's yes. a lot of me interviewing and going, okay, let me try this and let's see what happens and sort yeah. of sharing what that went through. I will say, however, while I agree with you that it, of course that we, you know, the U curve of happiness is a real thing. And I agree with you that when we approach midlife, it can feel really tough. But what's really interesting to me is that, and this is purely anecdotal, um, when I spoke to people who were younger, um, 20s, 30s, like they actually seemed quite panicked about getting older. And it was a lot of the, I'm running out of time. How am I going to make my 30 under 30 lists? How am I, you know, like there's a, you know, so I feel like the the fear of aging is actually sort of age agnostic. Like I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of real worry. And, and if anything, I feel like by the time I'm, I'm 56 now. And by the time my friends sort of get to my age, there's sort of a, um, there's more of an acceptance, right? Like I feel yeah. like there's sort of a rage that happens, a rage against the, you know, age against the machine as my yeah, friend yeah, Ashley yeah. Applewhite says, um, yeah. for people who are a lot younger. So, um, and, and the, even like, uh, you know, what we say about people who are older, which I think is, um, I think definitely in most recent years, when you think of people like, like the last Oscars, right, where we have Michelle Yao and all these people that are um, older and winning Oscars for the first time and that kind of thing, that's definitely sort of improving. But we still tend to use 
infantilizing language a lot for yes. older people, right? They're yes, very totally. adorable and they're cute. And, you yes. know, stuff like, and these are people who have like lived, right? So totally. it, it, to me, it feels like there is, we are bumping up against ageism. And by the way, ageism cuts both ways. I mean, people, you can hear younger people say, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of people thinking I'm too young to do this. Or um, even though I have a PhD or even though, you know, even though yeah. I'm, I'm qualified. So it does cut both ways. But I feel like the challenges that you face as you get older are different. I think we feel it, women feel it particularly acu acutely as we approach menopause because yes. sort of the idea of, well, if you're not viable for having children, then what good are you kind of overarching, yeah. overarching um, sentiment. But I, I also feel like I don't think I felt when I was 29, oh my God, I'm running out of time. I need to get on a 30 under 30 list. That feels like something that's newer. Um, yeah. I, do, I just don't remember that being a, a thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with social media, that makes it worse, right? And the messages that people are getting as they get, you know, as, as they're getting older now, it's just a different thing. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I talk about it all the way through, but obviously, like my, the medical issues and everything that I, you know, I, I interview a doctor and I go get like a full body workup right, um, right, with the right. doctor. And that's squarely in midlife because that's where I am. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, there's so much. So a lot of this book is about, you know, our internalized ageism, mm -hmm. everything we're talking about. How do you think one can stop negative self-talk around aging, you know, that I'm running out of time, yeah. it's too late to change. How, what's your best advice for that? Well, I will say, um, first of all, I think I told you I was smug when I came into this book. I thought, I, you know, I am not, I am not an ageist person and um, I'm a lawyer in background and I had handled age discrimination cases. So I felt like I was uniquely educated around ageism. Yeah. Um, and I felt pretty smug until I spoke with Ashton Applewhite, who is an anti-ageism activist. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she said was, um, we have to be really careful about how we use the words young and old. And I was like, I, I don't understand. Like young is young and old is old. What's the problem? And she said, well, for example, I hear people say all the time, I don't feel old. And I said, well, I say that all the time. I don't feel old. Yeah. And she said, well, I suspect when you say that, what you're saying is, I don't feel unsexy or I don't feel invisible. And I said, right. And she goes, yeah, but I don't know about you, but I had spells where I felt unsexy and invisible when I was 13. She goes, those aren't, those aren't age-related terms. And it was just sort of like, wow, oh my gosh, you're right. Like we use young as shorthand for good and old as shorthand for bad without even realizing that we're doing it. And when you start to look at it, like when you start to see it, it's almost like Neo taking the red pill in the matrix, yeah. right? Like you can't unsee it. And so one of the things that I really try hard to do for myself is um, like I use the words older and younger, right? So mm -hmm. I, I, I use it in comparison. So I would never say to somebody who is younger than me, well, I'm old, so I believe such and such, right? I'll say, oh, I'm well, I'm older than you. And this has been my experience or, you know, yeah. something that sort of is a, more of a comparison because that's empirical, right? Like I'm yeah. 56, you're 23. Like that's, there's a difference. So that's one way I do it. Um, the other way is to sort of, as we think about, um, you know, things like, I want to wear a mini skirt. Oh, am I too old for that? Right? Like sit yeah. there and think like, well, what is that? 
what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be too old to wear a miniskirt? Like, what are you afraid of? And sort of really start to unpack the decisions. Because the truth is, we have been fed that old is bad since we were teeny tiny listening to fairy tales about the old witch in the woods that's scary, right? To the, you know, the preternaturally young people, the filters that we have on our social media, the way that famous people, especially women, not so much men, don't seem to age, right? Like, they, you know, Halle Berry looks like she's always looked and J-Lo looks like she's always looked like sort of the celebrity culture that requires them to do whatever it takes to continue to look younger. And, and we just keep seeing this. I often say, like, I don't know how younger people are supposed to know what 50 looks like, right? For women, <laughs> because the 50 year olds who are famous all still look like they did when they were 20 <laughs> and 30. And God bless them. I mean, they, they do it for a reason, right? That's how they get work and that, you know. Yeah. But um, just the idea that aging is something that you don't, that you fight against until really you give up. Is sort of, you know, because yeah. silver haired people in media are often like old, like, you do, you know, like I have silver hair, I'm in my fit, but you look at somebody, they're like either super, super agers where they're like, oh, yes, he's got silver hair and he's jumping out of airplanes, right? Super agers, yes. <laughs> right? or, or they have walkers, right? Like it's never, it's never just like, oh, silver hair is silver hair, right? And it's, it doesn't mean anything one way or the other. And so those are the sort of things you have to, you have to sort of just keep getting curious about it. I mean, that that's the only thing we can do. We're never going to cure ourselves of it. It's just to be really curious about, well, what is that messaging and what does that really mean? Yeah. And I imagine it also works not just for the word older, but for old, but for young too, because I think that we can start to separate ourselves and mm-hmm. keep ourselves walled in. Oh, well, they're young. Oh, he's so young. You know, we dismiss younger people. Absolutely. I think it works both ways, right? Absolutely. It does. It, it does because we will dismiss people because they're young or we'll describe, oh my gosh, my father, and this is true. My father's 85. He's so young. Well, he's 85, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like he's 85, but Yes, he loves life and he's vibrant and sort of really being very, very clear about what is it you mean by he's young? Like that, what does that mean? Yeah. I know some like people who are quite young will, will never get out of off the couch, right? <laughs> like, yes, you know, yes. so it's, you have, we have to be really, really distinct with our language for sure. Absolutely. And you just said something that I want to make sure that we talk about because yeah. it's, it's a big part of the book. And I want you to speak to the importance of continuing to be curious as Mm. we age. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that came up that I hadn't really considered until it was told to me is that the older we get, the more diverse we get. So five-year-olds have more in common than 25-year-olds, than 55-year-olds, than 85-year-olds, than 95-year-olds, right? So because we are products of our genetics, we're products of the the challenges we faced in life. We're products of our education, our access to healthcare, right? Like we're products of our own lives. And so to sort of assume that all 55-year-olds are X or all 80-year-olds are Y is really, really um, ridiculous because they obviously are. And if you take that as fact, right? Like if you take that as true, then I think the way to age well is to remain very curious of what aging looks like for you and how aging you want your aging to unfold, right? Yeah. And for some reason that might mean that they're going to run, you know, ultra marathons when they're 
80. Definitely yeah. is not for me. Like, like I have no, no desire right. to do that. But right. um, but maybe it does mean picking up new hobbies or trying new careers or doing things that are, you know, just, you know, becoming a grandparents or volunteering or like whatever it looks or becoming really, really active, whatever it is. But getting really curious and not just dismissing new experiences simply because of some sort of idea of what that what your age is supposed to be. And so therefore not like, um, recently, just recently, I, I took a, a surfing lesson, right. <laughs> Which was hysterical. And also it, I was in pain for three weeks afterwards, but I loved it. Right. And so sort of thinking about, well, does a 55 year old or a 56 year old try surfing? Um, why not? Maybe it means right. I should have stretched a little longer and maybe it means I should have stretched <laughs> the more afterwards, but why not? Like what, what does it mean to say, well, I'm no, I'm too old for that. Like for what, for what reason? It could be, I, my, I have a back pain and it, I shouldn't be, it, it's not something I should do because of my physical condition, but it right. should have nothing to do with your age. Let's take a quick break from some ads. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. And we're back. And I imagine that intentionality is also what we're talking about mm. here, right? Because I mean, we all know how time seems to change as we get older, how fast it's going. You know, this year, how did this year even <laughs> go this fast, right? For sure. And the curiosity plus a sense of intention. Mm-hmm. This is what I want my last third of my life to look like. Yep. 
Does that, is that something that you've thought about? Is it something you thought about when writing the book? Like how do we live this, you know, how do we live aging lives in a very intentional way? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, uh, understanding that we have been aging since we were zygotes, right? Like aging is, aging is living. It's exactly right. Exactly that. So the idea that there's some sort of line where you no longer, um, do things or no longer get curious about doing things because of an age is a little strange, right? Because we, you've been doing new things forever. And then the, uh, the other thing is, and I, I think I probably learned this in writing the first book, the writing the Lightmaker's Manifesto, and it just sort mm-hmm. of continued with Radiant Rebellion, is I think for a long time, potentially too long of a time, I thought life was just, life just happened to you. And then you had the choice with how to react to it, right? Like it was sort of mm-hmm. like life happens and then you react to life. Right. What the last two books have taught me about is we have an inordinate amount of agency in creating and curating and cultivating the life that we want, right? Um, There's a lot of power in it. And I think we often, um, and I know this is true, not just because of life, but and culture, but it's also true based on race, based on gender. We think I should not do something, or I am not allowed to do something, or this is not something people who are like me have ever done before. So therefore, I... I'm not a, the type of person who would do these things. And and I think no matter what your age is, like sort of shirking that, um, what does a friend of mine said? You shouldn't should all over yourself, right? Like, yeah. you know, like you should really instead get just really curious and go, what interests me and what is it that I love to do? And I think that's true for activism, which is what the Lightmakers Manifesto is. Like, what are the things that really sort of um, excite me and what are the things I really do well and how can I marry the two to make the change in the world? And I think that's also true with aging. Like, what is the thing that's in the past has really light me up or what is the things that I'm really curious about? Um, I think if there's anything about aging well, it's about living well. Right. And so just sort of doing whatever it takes. I had somebody once asked me um, if my, you know, how, how after writing the book, do I approach my own aging? How do I do it differently? And I was yeah. like, I, that's such a weird question. Like, I don't approach aging differently, but I do approach living in differently. And aging's just going to happen, right? Like, right, like I'm just going right. to get older. So, and I think that that's really the thing is sort of the understanding that aging has been happening and will continue to happen. It's been happening since you were a toddler. It was been happening since you were, you know, yeah, a, a, a literally a zygote. So let go of that. And instead, think about living and the aging is going to happen one way or the other. And that's the other thing, right, is I think we've been conditioned to believe, well, you can stop aging. Like if you take this pill or eat this food or put on this cream, put on this cream, inject this whatever injectable that you can stop aging and you can't like it's life that is aging is what we do. Right. And so so understand how if we're going to age, then how do we how do we just have a great life while it happens? Right. right. I mean, you can't and you don't want to because right. I mean, well, before this, right? before we started recording, I was <laughs> we were talking about like how much better we actually are than we were even five years ago. Absolutely. Even two years ago, I think I'm better. A hundred percent. And there, there is actually research that says the more positive a view you have about aging, you can actually add 
good years of life to your age. They say can it, like a positive outlook on aging can add seven and a half more years to your life of, of good living, right? Just, just by the mindset of it. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I wonder about that because I'm like, well, what's the age that you're supposed to start wishing you were? Like, I don't wish I was a five-year-old. I don't wish I was a 15-year-old, <laughs> right? Like, you know, like what is that, that weirdness about, oh, well, you know, I, my mother used to always say like for 20 years, she was 29, right? Like she was like, I'm 29 or, um, or she won't even tell, she won't say her age now. Right. And she's in her eighties. And I'm like, like, do you think you're fooling people? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like people know that, you know, you, first of all, you have a 56 year old daughter, so you're not 29 anymore. Let's just, let's just do that math. Right. So, um, it's really interesting sort of this idea of like, if I don't sell anybody, I'll fool them, but also I'm going to be very different from every other 55, 56 year old you meet. So what are you trying to fool? Like you're trying to fool sort of this, this strange presumption of what people your age are supposed to be like, like what, like, what is that? Yes. Yes. No, it is the thing of like, well, I'm, I'm trying to live more as my authentic self but also <laughs> exactly right <laughs> yeah. also maybe you'll think i'm 38 right right <laughs> and i mean i will i will say like like i said i've never i've never had a problem with getting older but when i decided to stop dyeing my hair i remember thinking i don't care if people think i'm my age but what if they think i'm way older than i am right with yes. my silver hair right and then so then you go well what if they did like what if what if I walked down the street and somebody thought said to me, well, I thought you were 70, okay? Like, if they said that, <laughs> which would be a weird thing to say, but what if they said that? Like, okay, wh- well, what does that mean? Then I, and literally I thought this, I was like, well, then I would correct them and then I'd move on. Just like if somebody thinks I'm 30, they're wrong, <laughs> I'll move and move on, right? Like you just, it's it's not the thing. And you know, if like, yeah. has it, if anybody has ever looked at you and said, oh, my God, you look great for your age, right? Which I imagine people do. Like, isn't there something in the back of your yes. mind? Like, even though you might be like, oh, thank you very much. Isn't there a part that's like they're erasing some years of living that I've done? And some like there's that's all that never landed well with me because I was like, wait, but I've done a lot in the intervening years between yes. what you think I am and what I am. And I don't want that to disappear. Yes. I mean, there's also just because we don't educate people about aging and because of everything you said about JLo and everybody else, like there is this thing that like nobody really knows what anybody looks like (laughs) after a certain age, nobody knows, like you could be 50, you could be 80 to young people. And it's like, (laughs) are you going to let somebody else's ignorance define you? You know? Right. (laughs) Right. And, and also like, like my daughter is 19 and I am sure to all of her friends, I seem ancient, right? Like I'm sure they do. But I also think when I think of my mother and all of her friends, I seem really young, right? Like it's such a spectrum. So you have to sort of let go of that. Right. You do. I mean, the thing is, I guess as you were talking about the the gray hair and I I haven't, I'm still dying my hair. I'm 50, but I can feel like at night sometimes I'll be like, maybe I'm ready. Maybe it's time, you know? And then I think, I mean, honestly, I think, well, what opportunities will I, I miss out on if I, yeah. if I have gray hair, because people will, people do associate you as older immediately. Right. Cause because sure. of this ignorance, because of this like blob in the middle that we don't know how old people are. Right. <laughs> right. And, but as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, 
those aren't opportunities I want. I mean, yes, and yes, right. and so um, I I don't dye my hair anymore. Yes. But I would never tell people to stop dyeing their hair because yes. there are some real repercussions, right? Like I've had a friend of mine who was on who was in television who was like, if I stopped dyeing my hair, I would not get work. That's just yeah, no, it that's happens. just fact. Yeah. I would not get work. Or I've had single friends say, if I let my hair go silver. On dating applications, people, I would never get a date again. And I could really sort of preclude myself from any opportunities for real connection, right? Yeah. So, so I, the fact is that even as I think ageism is a huge problem, I also understand that the repercussions of fighting against it can also be a huge problem. Yeah. And so for me, when I talk about the rebellion, the rebellion I'm talking about is just get curious about why you're making the decisions that you're making yeah. and what are the consequences one way or the other. Because for me, I was dyeing my hair every six weeks because I assumed that was grooming, right? You brush your teeth, you take showers, you dye your hair. That is literally how I was looking at it. And then thinking, well, this is getting expensive yep. and maybe it's not that healthy. And so what would happen if? And so I cut all my hair off mm -hmm. and thought, I'm just going to cut it off. I'm going to let the silver come in. And if I hate it, I'll dye it again, right? right. Like, right. like I can always go back to that, right? And it turns out that for me, I love it. Yeah. But I also don't have like I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not like right. I I'm married. I'll have to worry about dating. Like, there's a lot of things that that I don't have any of the repercussions that other people might have. So, so yes, you probably don't want like you probably hate that idea that there are repercussions to making some of these decisions, but yes. that there, those are real. And so I would, I am never a person that's like, Oh, you need to ditch the die. And you like, I yeah. would never do that because that is the, that is the world we're living in. Yeah. Um, I just hope we change the world. Yeah. You know? I love all these things you're saying because it's all, it's, it is important too, because the other thing, the opposite of this can sometimes be when we're on this like anti anti-anti-aging crusade yeah, right. is that we wind up shaming a lot of people. Sure. And I think that this is such a good approach because that, and your book is so good because for this reason, because it's so generous and because it's so, it's so open and about all different kinds of experiences of aging, right? Of course, um, of course. And one thing you do in the book, you talk about, um, we talk about all different kinds of habits, but one of the things, can you talk about your habit of keeping a notebook? Yeah, I am a huge, I will tell you, I'm a huge journaler. I have mm -hmm. stacks of them. I mean, if you could see around me, it's a little embarrassing. Um, and, but I'm not, a, I'm not a person who uh, grew up with a dear diary. Like I, I, it is something that I came to probably after the age of 40, maybe, okay. right? Like it was, it was, a, it was, I was well into my adulthood before I started writing. Yeah. Um, and I'm a huge fan of it. Both, both my books like have journal prompts at the ends of them for people to, um, to write. And the, the reason that I, I love journaling and love writing is because, and it has to be handwritten by the way. Like I know a lot of people love to, to keep a journal on computers, but I can type almost faster than I can think. Yeah. And so, the whole point is to sort of slow down um, with writing things. And I use my my journal as everything. I use it as scratch paper. I use it as mm -hmm. um, planning. Uh, it's a place where I write packing lists if I'm traveling. It's a right. place where I write down my a great bottle of wine if I'm out to dinner and somebody orders a really great, you know, I write the name down. It's I, It literally is just a catch-all. Um, 
And a lot of what I've done in my life and a lot of my own approach to my living um, has happened because I really slowed down and asked myself questions, right? Like, is this, how do I want to show up in the world? How do I want to stay connected with people? How do I want to, um, how can I feel healthy today? How can I, um, how can I approach this? Why did that bother me when somebody said, oh, you look great for your age, right? Like, what was that? Um, And really writing with no judgment, right? Like writing with a, it bothered me because X. Um, It bothered me because Y. And just literally sort of going, okay, if that bothered me, what's another approach? What's mm-hmm. another way I could do this? And sometimes there is no other approach, like like we were saying, right? Like yeah. sometimes it's like, well, it bothers me that people assume that I'm younger than I am because it feels bad to be my age, right? Right. Right. For example, all right. Well, what are things? Well, I could not hide my age. I maybe maybe I don't stop dyeing my hair, but maybe also if somebody asks me my age, I just say it, right? Yeah. Or um. Or maybe, you know, whatever, just like, or maybe I, uh, that thing that I really love to wear, I'm going to start wearing it and see what the reaction is, right? Yeah. Um, like, one of the things that I, w- I was telling somebody the other day is I used to, in my 20s, love a miniskirt. Like, I love a miniskirt. <laughs> I loved a miniskirt. Um, and now, like, I would never wear a miniskirt. But I, as I think about it, for me, it's not because, well, I don't have my 20-year-old body, which I certainly don't. But it's more that that stage of my life is past, right? Yeah. Like I have no desire to do that anymore. I've done it. Yeah. Um, but lately, my thing is like I love a plunging le- neckline, and I'm doing more plunging necklines than I ever did in my twenties, and that just it feels like who I am now. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit there and worry about well, should somebody my age wear a plunging? I don't. I honestly do not care. Right. <laughs> like, like this is what feels sort of right for me now, and so really kind of understanding why am I making the decision? Why did that decision feel strange? Is that decision really about me? Or is that decision about what other people, what I think other people will think of me? And more often, actually, in every single situation I can think of, every single time I've been like, I'm not doing this because what will people think? If I decide I'm just going to try it, nobody's paying attention, right? (laughs) Like, like nobody even thought about it. Like, it's just, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go silver. And silver, my silver hair is a really great mm-hmm. thing because I thought, okay, let's see what people say. And instead of like having negative reactions or like, oh, you're going silver. Oh, you should touch mm-hmm. up, which I expected. I got exactly the opposite. Oh my God, I love that you're going silver. Oh my, like, I can't go anywhere now without my people commenting on my hair, which has yeah. never happened when I was dying it. And I don't think it really has to do with the fact that the silver looks gray as much as it is, is that I clearly am not in my 80s or 90s, yet I'm comfortable having silver hair. And yes. that's cool, right? Yes. Like, that's really awesome yes. that you're so comfortable with it. And I think that's really sort of interesting when you start to just sort of test the waters and see, well, what does that feel like? More often than not, you're like, this is either nobody's paying attention or actually this feels more like who I want to be. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing. It's the Sam Irby thing of, I like it. It's yeah. just that simple. Like, I like it. <laughs> and let's be very clear. I like Sam Irby. Like she's oh. so amazing. Right. So I think we all yes. could be a little more Sebi, Sam Irby. Oh my Irby. God. If we could, I, I would like her to write a whole life guide for me. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to talk. I want to make sure we talk before we go, because so many women in their fifties, 
maybe want to make a career pivot. They want to redefine themselves professionally. You've had this incredible, interesting, really varied career, right? And you've worked, I have. <laughs> you've worked as a, serious corporations. You've worked as an attorney. And now the work you do on paper, at least, seems to be a lot different. Mm-hmm. How did, first, how did you make that pivot? And but second, like, how does your work nourish you? What is, what role does it play in your life now? Yeah. Well, I think if, I mean, we can go through every single thing I've ever done and that would be a five hour. It's an amazing resume, Karen. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I will say this. I was, so I, my, I went to university to, to study engineering and I was an engineer and that was definitely about pleasing my parents, right? Like, you know, I would say things when I was growing up and say, oh, I want to be an architect. And they're like, oh, you're not an artist, but you're good at math right? You know, but you're really good at math. And so mm-hmm. I did really what my parents, I mean, they, it's not that they pressured me to do it, but it was sort of like in their guidance, it they were please like, them. And, and not even please them. It was like going for your, we don't see you as an artist. And if you went that way, it's just going to be a recipe for disappointment because you're not an artist, right? But you're good at math and you will like it because you're good at math. And yeah. so it was more, it was almost them sort of trying to protect me from myself, I think, right. more than anything else. Like it wasn't their ego about, oh, we want an engineer in the family. I don't think it was. I think it was more, this is what you're naturally good at, honey. You don't know, <laughs> you know, so just stay with what you're yeah. good at. Yeah. Um, g- got into it and literally was like, I, I mean, I got the degree. It was fine. And then I started working as an engineer. It was like, this is miserable. Like, yeah. I really don't enjoy this. And so I thought, well, what should I do? Every engineer I knew had an MBA. I don't want to get an engineering master's in engineering because that's just more of the same. So I'll go do law. And LA Law was on television at the time and they made it look <laughs> really sexy. So so I thought, well, maybe I, I wonder if I could do it. And literally it was, I wonder if. So I, I looked, I'm like, okay, to go to law school, you have to take the LSAT. Mm-hmm. Well, what does the LSAT look like? So yeah. Go to the bookstore and get a little study guide. Oh, I think I could do this. Let me, let's, let me see what happens if I take the LSAT. If, I, if it doesn't work, I won't go to law school. Right. Did really well in the LSAT. Thought, well, now that I've done really well, I should really apply. If I don't get accepted, I won't go. Got accepted. Well, I got accepted. I got to go. But I won't practice law, right? Went through three years of law school, was like, oh my God, I got to take the bar exam if I've gone this far, right? <laughs> so I'm going to take the bar exam. Oh my gosh, I passed the bar. I, I got to get a job, right? And literally, <laughs> that's sort of how, and every single job I've had since has literally been like, eh, let's see what happens. Yeah. Right. And I, I, let's see what happens. I was, the writing came about because I was a lawyer mm-hmm. and I, and I was moving to, to London with my job. And I decided to start an email list because social media didn't really exist at the time. So I thought I'll just send a a mass email list to all my friends rather than trying to keep up with all of them. And uh, I'll just tell them what's going on. And so I would write these, you know, I was flying to Nigeria and talking about crazy stuff that was happening to me in Nigeria and flying to the Middle East. And and I would write this. And then occasionally people would write me that I didn't know. And they would be like, hi, you don't know me. I'm a friend of so-and-so's. They forward your emails to me because they're funny or they were interesting. Can you add me to the list? And I was like, oh, (laughs) maybe I'm a writer, right? So I started a blog. And then I was like, oh, maybe I can write a book. Like literally everything that I've done has been like, oh, 
let's just try it, right? Like, yeah. let's just see what happens. And I think maybe that's why I'm really, really um, passionate about like the idea of aging differently. I'm like, it has always served me to be very curious and go, well, let's see what happens. Like, you know, if nobody has to know. And most of those things, by the way, I would like law for sure. People didn't know I was going to law school till I got accepted to law school. <laughs> like nobody knew I was taking the LSAT. I just kind of kept it close to the vest. Um, every single, I became a scuba diver that way. I became, you know, it's <laughs> like, well, let's just, let's just see what happens. Um, and, and things unfolded and every pivot that I've ever had has been because of just staying curious. If you could tell people who are having a hard time with getting older, if you could tell them like one thing, like what would be the best piece of advice you could give somebody who's like, I hate being in perimenopause. This is so I feel like an old crone. I mean, I mean let's besides be real. we're gonna stop, we're gonna stop using that language, but besides that. <laughs> I don't know, some crones are pretty fabulous. I'll just say there's some there's a lot of power in, in cronism. Um you know, I I think one of the things, and I think this is sort of similar to what I tell people when they say, oh my gosh, it's the end of the year, 2003, 2023 sucked. Let, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like right. we as humans are wired to look for the negative, right? I mean, like literally it's an evolutionary thing. You look for the negative and try to fix it. And that's what we should do. And I think we don't spend nearly enough time looking at what's good. Um, we don't do it at all. It, it, it's, we have a negative bias, right? And I think we should at least look at what's good at least as much time as we look at what's bad. I don't think it, we should ignore what's bad. I think you've got to figure out like when things happen. Um, you're talking to somebody who lost their home in Hurricane Harvey, right? Like, mm. like I know bad stuff happens yeah. and I know yeah, bad stuff is going to happen. But I think the idea of being able to to continue to turn your gaze every once in a while is what keeps you from hopelessness, right? It's what it's sort of like... Um, what Fred Rogers said about when things bad happen, look for the helpers. Like you got to, you've got to every once in a while, switch your gaze to what's good. So yeah. yes, I mean, I was telling you earlier, like I was having a raging hot flash, right? Like there are perimenopause, yeah. there are things that are going to happen with your body as you get older that suck. Like they, they, they yeah. suck. And there's no, there's no denying that your eyesight's going to get a little worse. Like your body's going to get a little weaker. Like it's always going to, that's, that is going to happen. That's what life does. But alongside all of that is some really great stuff, right? Like your kids yeah. go off to college. You end up, you know, they're, they get married and have kids, right? You yeah. learn a new skill. You take up a good hobby. You travel, you do like start taking, yeah. taking stock of what is really good. And the beauty of what happens when you start to, and I do that daily, right? Like I literally am mm -hmm. like, what good happened today? And it's not about, oh, well, I'm grateful for my husband. Yeah, of course I am. But when I take stock, it's, I'm grateful my husband brought me that tough cup of tea when he could see I was stressed about something and I didn't even ask. And that was really sweet, right? Like yes. get really specific. And when you yeah. start to like make a practice of switching your gaze, you'll find not only do you start feeling better you'll start to realize that you can create things every day that make things better. So, okay, yeah, I had raging hot flash, but I also had a really good cup of coffee today. Or, I, you know, like, and you start yeah. to, and so even the crappy days, you start to think, this is a crappy day. So on my way home, I'm stopping for a cake pop because I want one good thing, damn it, that I can say happened today, <laughs> right? So you start to create sort of the good. And so I think that's true with everything is sort of having this, this, this practice of, 
of switching your switching your gaze to the good will start to make you realize that not that the bad is not as bad, not that the bad is awful, but that there's some really great good as well. And in balance, that's life, right? Life does that. Life has bad, but life really has good and we need to pay more attention to it. Oh man. Yes. 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 Um, Karen, where can people find you? Cause I want oh, them to find thank you. Thank you. Um, well, uh, Karen Walrunda.com will get you to everything. It'll get you to the website. We'll get you the, the social media. It'll point you to everywhere. Right. So that's really the best way. Thank you so much for this. This is such a pleasure. I think your work is, you just inspired oh. me so much today. Thank <laughs> I you. appreciate it. I am absolutely honored to be on this podcast. I love what you guys are doing here on the podcast and it's just, it's it's, we need more people sort of touting how everything is fine. Everything is fine. Everything Normalizing is fine. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. I'm your host, Jennifer Romolini. If you want to support the production of the show, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash everything is fine. We do live events there sometimes. We give beauty and style recommendations there. And we also do special bonus episodes there. It's $3 a month, the cost of a fancy, not even just a plain old coffee from a cart. If you want to review the show or rate it, if you like it, you can go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. It really helps people find the show. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook with a robust and private Facebook group. We're on Instagram at EIF Podcast. If you want to email us with suggestions or concerns, we're at Everything is Fine, the podcast at Gmail. You can find Kim on her Substack, kimfrance.substack.com. You can find me in a lot of places, but if you want to follow my beauty recommendations, it's Jen Romolini's Vanity on Instagram. The show is mixed and edited by the wonderful Natalie Rivera. Natalie, I hope it wasn't too tough this week. God damn technology. And we'll be back next week. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new custom spray five in one gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.